Well, um, I'll start actually with a prayer. We're going to just pray for the peace of Israel, right? That's a, that's a big deal. And so we'll just start with that and then get back into Romans. Yeah? Okay. Heavenly Father, we bow our hearts before you as a congregation of believers. Lord, we trust your word. We know your word. We want your word in our hearts. And Lord, we know that Israel, the nation of Israel, is the apple of your eye. And why, while right now they're in a sense, divorced from their father, or we know that there will be restoration for them and a remarriage. And so we pray for them. We pray for the people of Israel. We pray for the people, the nation itself, that they would seek their God, Lord, and they would come to know your son, the Messiah you sent to them, Lord. And we pray that you would use these tragedies and these discomforts and these issues to draw them to you and that they would not pull away from you, Lord. Um, we're, we're thankful. We pray again. We know, we know that you are, you hold them in your hand, you hold them in your heart, and that you will protect them, and no enemy can stand before them that will conquer them because you are theirs. And Lord, we're excited to see how you will work your will around this and in this and through this. And Lord, we ask that we would just come alongside and be a part of your will. But we pray for them. We, we pray for their peace. We pray for their restoration. We pray for their salvation. And Lord, we do pray for the people that are not Jews, but are there and, and affected by all this, Lord, that they would also seek your face and that you would use these things to draw people to you. And Lord, um, we are the, the grafted branches of your olive branch, which is the nation of Israel. We're grateful for them. We're thankful for them. And Lord, just help us to give us an attitude of gratitude towards them and and seek to help them know their Savior and Messiah, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Romans chapter 8. I'm going to just read um, 8, 1 through 11. All right, I think we ended at 11 last time. Anybody remember? I think 11. It's all good anyway, so it's okay. <laughs> okay. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, and for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Actually, we didn't go over 9, so we're going to go through 9 through 11. Um, 
Well, just quickly, verse 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You didn't have a choice when you were not redeemed or not saved. You were a slave to that sin, right? A slave to sin which resulted in death. Uh, verse 3, but God, but God condemned sin in the flesh by way of sending his son to pay the price for that sin and death, right? So the righteous requirement, he did that so that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled. We've talked about it before that Christ came to fulfill the law, not just abolish it or get rid of it, but fulfill the law. The law is good. The law is very good. Um, we, so we can walk, we have a choice. We can walk according to the flesh or we can walk according to the spirit. It is literally our choice. We have the power to not walk according to the flesh anymore. Why? Because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit within us. Um, so living after the flesh, however, is death. And after the Spirit is life and peace. So you get the choice. What Do you want to live with a life that leads to death or a life that leads to life and peace, right? Um, the mind of the flesh is, is hostile to God. So choosing to live according to the flesh, even though you don't have to, is a hostility towards God. It's a, it's an enmity. It's a, it's an enemy. It's, it's, it's hostile and futile. It, it's uh, God looks at it as an enemy. So we need to train our minds to think that when we live according to the flesh, even though we're not under the burden or, or bondage of, of sin and death, that we can still choose. When we choose, we put ourselves at enmity with him, at hostility with him. It's a hostile relationship rather than a peaceful uh, communion and fellowship with him. We're hostile to him. Um, so let's look at verse 9. So now we, so God the Father has given us deliverance from sin via his Son, Jesus Christ. Now he also will give us deliverance from our own body. So let's look at verses 9 through 11 and go through that and, and, and uh, see how we have deliverance from the body. Um, so, like I said, have, we know that having a mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. Now he's going to describe, Paul is going to kind of let us know, well, how do you overcome that? How do you have victory from that type of foolish thinking, right? Um, so he's going to repeat um, that we have two sort of aspects in us. Remember we said, Paul, Paul described how I find this to be a mystery in a sense that at one hand I want to do, I want to do all the things that God wants me to do, but yet on the other hand I have this this sin nature, this flesh nature, this, this drive that makes you want to do everything of the flesh, right? So he's going to kind of repeat that same type of idea um, that you have the Lord at hand and you have the sin nature at hand. Um, so we have the choice to operate in either one, according to either one. Um, unbelievers can only operate according to the flesh. They don't have the choice, right? Only a believer do you have the choice to operate. So he's going to try to show us how you can have victory by operating in the spirit versus operating in the, in the flesh. So verse 9. Someone read verse 9 if you would. However, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Okay, so... If God, the Holy Spirit, dwells inside of you, you are a believer, 
right? It's really that, that equation, that mathematical equation. The Spirit of God dwells in you. You are a believer. You are sanctified. You are, sa you are saved. You are sanctified. You are justified. You will be glorified. So not having the Spirit is proof of being unsaved, right? There's no, sal there's no way of salvation. There's no way to enter into uh, heaven or having our mortal bodies receive glorification without having the Holy Spirit within you. So to be a believer means that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. So um, to be indwelt is, is the notion that the Spirit is inside, means to be inside of you and not in the flesh. So you're accessing the Spirit that is inside of you rather than accessing the flesh that is inside of you as well. So Paul is, again, repeating that idea that you have these two sort of parts to you. It's not two separate identities. It's just that within your one identity, you have these two sort of warring factions in there. Um, so you are there as a result, you, can, you cannot, you have this impossibility to walk in the flesh. And I want to kind of try to de determine the difference between walking according to the flesh and walking in the flesh. They are two different things. Walking according to the flesh is, is sort of following, right? Fol following this idea that, that, that your old ways, your old thinking, your old understanding, you just continue in that same habit. But walking in the flesh is that you have no other option. You just are walking in that way because that's who you are, that's what you are, you're unsaved. But when you're saved, you can choose to walk in the old ways according to the flesh, or you can walk in the spirit, right? So I just want to try to delineate those two things. So you can walk according to the flesh, even though you are a believer, but you're not following the Holy Spirit that is within you. Um, so, because we, we all know this personally, that you can kind of be dominated partially by the flesh, right? Um, you may not be wholly dominated, but you're partially dominated if you allow the flesh to continue to manifest itself and walk in its uh, habits that you had had before. And so the, the degree of sort of dominion or domination over you depends upon how far you are walking according to the flesh or thinking in the flesh. Uh, remember we talked about um, Philippians, you know, um, dwell on the things that are holy and good and righteous and pure and lovely because those are the things that give you peace, right? Those are those things. So as much as you dwell on those things, as much as the, as, will be as much as you are walking according to the Spirit, as least, the, the least that you walk according to those things will be how much you're walking according to the flesh. Yeah? Okay, let's look at verse 10 now. It's the results of the indwelling of Christ. So, so verse 9 we have, just pay attention to verse 9, we see that we have the Spirit, and then verse the Spirit of the Holy Spirit of God, and then verse 10. Let's look at verse 10, if someone read that. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Okay, so verse 9, who's dwell who's dwelling in the believer? In verse 9? The spirit, right? And then verse 10, who indwells the believer? Christ. Jesus Christ, right? So these two persons, while they're two, the two persons of the Godhead, of two of the three of the Godhead, are distinct, they're, they're also inseparable, right? They're distinct beings, but they are inseparable. You can't have one without the other. Both of them are going to be inside of you, right? 
Jack verse 9 called him the spirit, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ. Yeah. 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 Well, we're going to see in verse 11, we're going to see God the Father as well in here. So you're, you're right. Um, so um, as a result of Christ's indwelling, right, our bodies, which were once subject to the sin nature resulting in death, um, are now dead to sin, right? At the same time, our human spirit becomes alive, renewed, right, regenerated um, because of righteousness. Um, we have the, a spiritual re renewal or spiritual life because of the indwelling Christ and his, because of his righteousness of fulfilling the law, it was imputed to us, right? We have his righteousness. Even though we were, like I said, we were declared righteous, even though we're not perfectly righteous, we're declared righteous and on our way to trying to be more righteous every day, right? Through the sanctification process. So verse 11, we're gonna see the effect of having the indwelling spirit in you in the future. So it's a promise by having the Holy Spirit indwell you, Christ dwelling in you, there's going to be something that happens in the future to you. So read verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Okay, so we see the Father involved here as well, right? So who's going to give life to the mortal body? God the Father, right? God the Father. So he's the one who gives life to the mortal bodies of the believers because he's the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Or he's the, So the one who raised Jesus from the dead, God the Father, is the one who will give you your mortal body in the future because of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Yeah? And how, how is he going to do it? Through his Spirit, right? And so we know the Spirit is the Spirit of God, right? If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. I don't know if your scripture, your version has a capital H or not, you know, given the proper pronouns. Um, but if we follow, following that, if the spirit of him, so the spirit of God, right? Spirit of him, God, who raised Jesus from the dead, um, dwells in you. He, will, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So it's God the Father who will raise you from the dead by means of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Following that? Yeah. So in these little verses, 9, 10, 11, we see the Trinity working all within you right there, right? Um, okay, so... So the indwelling Spirit is the guarantee of the resurrection of your mortal body, right? That's what it says. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. So the indwelling spirit, how we talked about this several weeks ago. How do you know that you have the spirit of God in you? Or what's one way of knowing you have the spirit of God in you? Say Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay, to say Jesus Christ is Lord. This, this turmoil, right? This turmoil in your brain, in your mind, it says, why am I doing the things I don't want to do, right? Why don't I do the things I want to do? That is actual conviction, and that is evidence of the Holy Spirit within you, right? And I'm assuming all of us have, have had that experience, and are regularly having that experience, right? So that, that, that turmoil, that, that trouble, that challenge, that battle, should give you hope, 
and peace, right? Because it's evidence, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Having the Holy Spirit dwell in you is a guarantee of what for you in the future, according to this verse? A resurrection of your mortal body. That's pretty dang great, right? That's pretty dang great. So, 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 well, actually, Paul will discuss this actually next about if, if you know the suffering and the, and the, the struggles and all that, they kind of are like, ah, whatever, fine. You know, I can deal with those because they're temporary. I know that I'm going to be resurrected into a, a mortal, an in, immortal body, right? So as Paul is saying that the indwelling spirit <coughs> is the guarantee of the resurrection to come, unless the rapture comes in our lifetime, which it certainly could and seems like it will, our bodies will physically die, right? Um, but these same bodies that have the Holy Spirit will be resurrected, right? Just as the body of Christ was resurrected. And the very person who raised up Christ from the dead is going to give life to our mortal bodies, right? The same one. So we no longer have to live in the flesh, but we can live in the Spirit who indwells us. Therefore, we never have to sin again. We're not obligated. We're not under bondage. We're not required to sin again. We have the capacity to not sin again because of the indwelling spirit within us, but we have this war waging within us, right? That, that this struggle. Um, so, like I was saying, knowing this, what type of attitude should we have about our lives, right? What mental attitude should we really have? Um, so instead, you know, we and we kind of flippantly talk about it, but we should be trying to dwell and focus on the idea of not sinning. So not so expecting not to sin versus expecting to sin, right? We, we, as weak as we are, we are weak, but we're, our focus should be on the ability to say, I don't have to sin, therefore I should expect not to sin, rather than the, the impression or the idea that I, I'm going to sin no matter what type thing. Our focus, our mental focus, should be on the ability of saying, we don't have to sin. I don't have to sin anymore. Why am I still living as though I'm under that law or under that bondage? Whereas my m mental attitude should be, I should be expecting not to sin and, not, and then not have an expectation to sin, right? The Holy Spirit within us will help us um, not sin. Somebody look at 1 Corinthians 10.13. Just came to my mind. But that this is a fantastic verse to memorize. 1 Corinthians 10.13. I got it. You got it. Um, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Uh, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Right. So who, right. So who, who's doing all the work for you, basically, yeah. right? No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He won't give you anything you can't handle or can't bear. And, and what does it say? Provide a way of escape. Provide a way of escape, right? So that... That I, I would encourage you to memorize or that that you know that verse to know that when you're in the midst of it, he no temptation can take you, right? It's con every man is dealt with this. He's gonna provide he's faithful, he's gonna provide a way to escape from it. Okay. So let's see. Any questions so far?
First John three nine is another another verse. First John three nine. Three nine. All right. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. Okay. So other versions would say no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, right? For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So while we are we are capable of not sinning. And that's that's kind of what I try want to try to get a, along to our mindset is that we should be thinking more about not sinning rather than sin than sinning, right? Have the mentality like I don't have to sin. Why am I sinning? Rather than being beating ourselves up about the fact that we are sinning, let's focus on the idea that we don't have to sin. We're not we're, we are capable of actually not sinning because of the the power of the Holy Spirit within us, and God. We've been born of God. Those those that positional truth should be on the forefront of our mind of why we don't have to live like we used to. Yeah, it's like we get duped into thinking because the, we keep focusing on the negative. Yes. And, um, of course, whatever you, fo- <laughs> whatever you focus on, you right. go towards, right? It's like, right. You, it's like so an, you ride a bike and it says... That, there, that battle is like shifting in your mind. Right. You the, Renewing yeah. of so the mind. You've got to renew your mind on these positive things because you're so quick to your flesh and and you know the flesh, the world, and Satan just putting you back in that in that negative um, aspect rather than the positive. Right. So the so the value of dwelling on the things that are lovely and good and hope and and peaceful and joyful and all those things keep your focus on where it should be. Just as an illustration, when you mountain bike and there are obstacles in your way, your your natural tendency is to look at the obstacle, right? And say, don't hit that, don't hit that. But what happens is your body all goes to that. So you're, you gotta train your mind to say, stay on the trail and focus on the trail away from the obstacle that's there. So yeah, the illustration is don't focus on the thing you're not to do, Focus on the thing that you're already doing in the trail, going this way, right? Not the boulder or the tree or the cliff or whatever that's there. So, hey Steve, we're throwing around references. I'll toss one in too. Please. John 14, 23 and 24a says, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So it gives a real clear, if you love me, you keep my word or keep my commands. If you don't keep my commands, you don't love me. Yeah. And I need things that simple that when I look at right or wrong, I'm really saying, do I love Jesus or do I not love Jesus? Right. And in my heart, I know I love Jesus. So that tells me how I have to live. I have to choose correctly. I have to choose to not sin. So my choice isn't sin or not sin, my choice is do I love Jesus or do I not love Jesus? Right. And in my death, I love him, so I need to love him in my actions too. Right. 
And so Paul, and then Paul, so Paul on that is saying that you're not doing it by yourself, though, right? It's not, it's not you saying, oh, I can't, I got to, I just, you know, I'm in this battle. Paul is saying the Holy Spirit that's in you, God is faithful. He will provide a way out. So you're, you're, instead of relying on your own strength or even a guilt sense, like, oh, I, I love him. I better do these things. You're saying, Lord, I don't even know how to do this. I'm accessing your grace, your mercy, so that I, it happens to me that you do the work for me to do the good thing. And that, that's how you have victory over that sin nature. Because if we try to do it by ourselves, according to the law, we will fail, right? That, that's what Paul would have been talking about. And that's, that's the mind shift that we have to have, is that it, it's, as much as we got saved by ourselves, we're going to get sanctified by ourselves, right? Meaning none. We didn't get saved by ourselves and we can't be sanctified by ourselves. We're sanctified by faith. We were saved by faith. We have a promise that we're going to be glorified. So we believe by faith that we will be glorified. But we're being sanctified not on the power or the strength of our own will, but on the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And God is faithful will provide a way out. So our, like you're saying, our mind has to be set on him who is doing those things. He is able to do those things. Now to him who is able to, you know, what is it? Um, abundantly, I forget the verse. But anyway, that's in Jude, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. Anything else? I will just say, I think it, um, like looking at Levi and looking at myself, live it out now I think as a 47 year old man than it is as a 14 year old boy because he's got to go through it and experience it for himself for the first few times of his life now where once I've experienced it a few times where I've had some victories and I've had Jesus do for me what I can't do for myself then faith that he's going to do it the next time is easier yeah because i have the track record to look on where a younger person like developing their own relationship developing their own faith like the faith muscle is weaker yeah because they haven't experienced the victory in their own lives yet and so walking through that journey as a young person i think is even harder than those of us that are a little bit further along in our walking faith Flannery uses the term sometimes working out your salvation. Um, it's not something that you just, you get saved and uh, you know what to do, you know what to say. You have to, like you said, work it out. And, you know, I wish I knew then what I knew now. It would make, have made things a lot easier then, but I had to go through that to get to where I am now. Those lessons. And it was hard, but it's something that we can't take for granted. Well, it's easy to see how how a believer could stay the same spiritual maturity as they were 30 years ago, too, mm-hmm. right? If, if you're not actively pursuing that growth, meaning understanding the scripture, the promises that are coming to you, you could easily stay the same uh, spiritual maturity that you had been for many, many years, right? And a good check for ourselves is to say, okay, it's October 8th. Where was I October 8th? Have I grown? How much have I grown? Have I grown in the Lord in the last year, right? And, and you will look at the, you'll look at the troubles and the struggles and difficulties to see have I depended on him more or less? And, you know, 
the same um, that in the Gospels Christ talks about those those the seeds, right? That how the seed gets fallen, and those who are get choked by the world, those who get choked by the flesh, don't produce fruit. But those who live according to God's word will produce fruit, right? So you can look at your own life and say, "Have I produced fruit?" Whatever that might look like doesn't mean that you, you know, doesn't mean one thing. It can mean multiple things. But that have you grown in that way? And I, I know I could see how I've been saved for many years, but many years in my life were not growing periods, you know, spiritually maturing until I really started to try to want to know his word and walk in fellowship with him and be in communion with him that I actually began to grow. So I feel like it's kind of a wasted time. I've been saved for a long, you know, almost 40 years or so, but I wish I had 40 years of consistent growth. I'd feel like I'd be a lot further along, but you know, we can see how if you don't actively participate, you just stay in this you know, non-growth period. Casual. A cat, yeah. What what do they say? Casual Christian will become a casualty to the world around you, right? The world around you. I want to just say it was Jude. Jude one twenty four and twenty five says, "Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling." So it's not you who keep you from stumbling, right? Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So that's the doctology of Jude. But that's the same idea, is that you don't do it. And you, you the, what you do is actively allow or actively participate in the work being done in you, right? It's a, it's a, it's a mind shift from that way. Yeah, good. Okay, let's go on to, so we have deliverance from the body. We have deliverance from, uh, what does it say? Deliverance from sin, deliverance from the body. And now we're going to have deliverance um, from bondage. That's verses 12 through 17. So after Paul gives this promise of resurrection that the God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, because you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you are going to be resurrected as well. So now he tells us what to do in verse 12. So read verse 12, if you would. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So if we are debtors, right, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, that means we, we should do something, right? We have some kind of like response here. As a result of having these things, we have some kind of response here. Um, so in light of what he's explained in verses 1 through 11, he now makes us aware of sort of an obligation we have to the spirit that dwells in us, right? So since we've been delivered from the sin nature, we're no longer to live as though we're still living in bondage to that old nature. Now as debtors of the spirit within us, we, we should walk according to the spirit, right? Because we've been given all these things, we should now feel as though we're in debt or like that we want to do something, that we want to respond positively to it, right? Um, because as debtors of the Spirit within us, we want to walk according to the Spirit. In chapter 7, um, verse 4, he pointed out that we were made dead, right? We were dead. That just like Christ died, we died. Uh, flip over to Galatians 2.20, if you would. Thank you. 
This is another great verse to memorize, I think. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Mm -hmm. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So knowing that, right, there, it should stir in us a, an action, a response, like... Now what? You know, I, I have all these things. I don't live. I, I've been, my flesh has been crucified with Christ. No longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Okay, let's do this. You know, let's go out and let's do this. Let's, what, what is it? So being, when we were crucified, it was a passive act on our part, right? Because we could do nothing. He put us to death along with him. But now we have an active involvement of leaning Right? Having faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So our, our commandment, our obligation, our debt is to lean on this activity that's happening within us. Right, Go towards that activity that's happening within you, which is dying to the flesh. Being, it was crucified, now live like it. Right, Think like it. And so we're, we're to view our sanctification process in a way that we are in debt because we receive so much, our reasonable response is to live by faith that it's happening, right? And, and, and grow it and mature it and, and actively participate in it happening. And then he gives us the reason. Verse 13. So I'm going to read verse 13 of Romans 8. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if the Spirit you put to death, the but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay, so this is an interesting verse. We, we see a, like a cause and effect law of consequence, right? Um, if we live after the flesh, the consequence is that we will die. Now you're saved, right? You're saved, but you can choose to live after the flesh. But there's a consequence. The consequence is death. The consequence is, and that death is a physical punishment in a sense um, as a divine judgment of rejecting the the process that is occurring within you right there's 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 other scripture and this is kind of a whole other tangent but where um, like Kadesh Barnea where this this they they rejected God God divinely even though they were saved right Israel was saved they followed God but they rejected his provision to go into the land of Canaan so um, there's a judgment of them, a physical judgment of them. They were, the, they were swallowed up into the earth, basically, right? A big, big thing swallowed them up. And so, um, and then there's, another, there's other scripture in Hebrews that talks about, say again? That's another, yeah, perfect, where they're saved, right? But because of their, their walking according to the flesh, there was a, a physical divine judgment. That's kind of what this verse is referencing. If you continue to live according to the flesh, you will die. You're still, you're, these are talking about believers, right? This is for if you who are believers live according to the flesh, you will die. So there is a divine judgment of rejecting the process that is happening within you. And that divine judgment is physical death not spiritual death you're still going to be saved you're still going to be glorified but there is a divine judgment upon you 
So put to death the deeds of the body, you will live, right? So there is, this is an interesting verse, but there's other scripture to support that same idea that there is such thing as a divine judgment of living according to the flesh and it's physical death. Obviously not to say that all physical death is a divine judgment. We're all going to die, right? Um, and I don't know how that would you know, transpire within each of us, but um, that, that is there. Um, yeah? Is that okay? It's a little interesting, but that's what that's saying. Um, okay, so then verse 14. Um, now we have sonship, right? Um, if we are walking and living under the control of the Spirit, we have this sonship. So read verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Are sons of God, right? So this, this, just, this is a distinction not between spiritual and non-spiritual believers, those who are, are of God are led by the Spirit of God, right? If you are of God, you are born again, you're led by the Spirit of God. Um, and the fact that they are led by the Spirit proves your sonship. And your sonship does not depend upon your faithfulness or your obedience. It depends upon God's faithfulness, right? And He is faithful in the sense that your sonship, the moment you are justified, you are a son because of the indwelling Holy Spirit within you. God always leads, the Holy Spirit always leads you, even though we may not always follow, the Holy Spirit is leading you. Um, so that as many that are led, meaning all who are led, are sons of God. Um, if you're not being led by God, then you don't have the Spirit of God in you. Now you might... Like we said, you might have the Spirit leading you, but you just may not follow, right? You might choose to follow your own flesh again. Um, so just, just so that the, con the contrast here is between unbelievers and believers, not between spiritual believers and unspiritual believers. Um, and then verses 15 through 17, they affirm what we have received at salvation. Read verse 15 if you would. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Okay, so at salvation, we were freed from the bondage of sin, right? Unbelievers, however, still live in the bondage of sin. Um, but when we are saved, when we get saved, when we get justified, we have, we've been adopted, right? And we have the spirit of adoption. Um, and that spirit will not lead you to fear as the spirit of bondage once did. Um, but now we've been adopted into God's family, right? So the previous verse was sonship. And here we see not just position, but now we see emotion, right? And now we see a relationship, um, because we were adopted in God's family, we have the legal right and privilege to approach God, the Father, on the same basis that Jesus approached him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, he cried out, Abba, Father, right? Um, and that's Mark 14, 36. Jesus called God Abba, right? It's an intimate term, and it means like daddy, right? Like loving father, like more than just... Um, you know, a spiritual thing, but a, a, an endearing term where there's intimacy, there's a relationship, there's fellowship. 
So he points out, Paul in this verse is pointing out that we have the legal entitlement to come to God the Father with that same emotional expression, right? We can cry, Abba, Father, right? In the, in the sense of a deep emotion of expression and, and even in turmoil or anguish or strife or anything, we can come to him with, with uh, not a legal basis, but on a uh, emotional fatherly basis, right? Um, so we can approach God with the same way that Jesus Christ approached him, right? Well, we're not sons in the same way that Christ is the son of God, right? But we've been adopted. So we are adopted sons with Christ to God the Father, right? Because of our union with Christ, we are adopted sons and we have the same access and same relationship. We can have the same relationship with God the Father. Um, and we can approach him with that same personal and emotional ground that Jesus did also. That's, that's phenomenal. I mean, when you really stop and think about that, it's not just a judicial, you know, court judge sitting on the bench. It's, it's in your home, sitting on a sofa, crying to, one, crying to him, right? It's not just standing in front of the judge, but it's, it's, on Christmas Day, giving you gifts and you know, singing songs or whatever, sharing a meal. It's a lot more than just this judicial aspect. It's a personal relationship where you throw the football with your father or whatever, you know. <laughs> you go fishing or your father basket weaves with you. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, good, good with that. Verse 16. We're almost done with this part. Um, so, read verse 16. Yes, yeah, so we are children of God, right? Um, it gives us the power not to sin anymore, bears witness with our human spirit that we are indeed God's children. So we have a sonship, we have an adoption, we're children of God, right? It's a continuous ministry of the Holy Spirit to remind you that this is the position you have. Um, we, should, we, should, we should trust and have an inward sense of assurance, right? And we're talking about that turmoil is assurance of your salvation. Knowing that having that experience and that sense of assurance gives you peace and joy, that you can count it all joy when you go through various troubles and trials because of the assurance of the Spirit within you, changing you, sanctifying you, right? So we're sons, we're children, we've been adopted. Let's look at verse 17a. Therefore, since we have been reconciled to God, we have peace with one another. So what is Jesus going to inherit in the future? Every, everything, right? The Messianic kingdom, right? All of, almost all of the Old Testament is talking about that future time in the Messianic kingdom. And since if children, us, you, then heirs, and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, right? So it's another verse uh, discussing how you are going to not not reign in the power of being a king, but reign with, co-heirs with Christ who's reigning over these things. So Jesus will inherit the kingdom of the earth in the future, and it could be in the very near future. Um, as members of the body of Christ and co-heirs, we will reign with him during that messianic kingdom. And this is in Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6. 
And then 17b um, concludes the section. So read 17b. If indeed we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Right. So in view of the fact that believers will suffer with him, um, we will also be glorified with him. So that, that statement ends that section, the section of sanctification, um, but it's going to introduce the next section, which is glorification. So right there when it says that we may also be glorified with him, provided we suffer with him, right? That sanctification process of going through all of those things to be more like him, we will also be glorified with him. So Paul is ending the section of sanctification and introducing the section of glorification here. And that's the future aspect of salvation. Good? All right, let's pray. Father God, we bow our hearts to you, Lord, and we are eternally in debt to you because of all the things you have given to us, all the things you are giving to us, and all the things you will give to us. Lord, help our minds, help our hearts, help our reasons to be focused on knowing that you are sanctifying us and that you are working within us and that you are going to redeem you that you've redeemed us that you're going to resurrect us and we look forward to that lord we ask that you would just help us to access the holy spirit that dwells in you the, that jesus christ who dwells in us and that we look forward to getting rid of these immortal bodies and to be glorified in you again lord we pray for the nation of israel we pray lord as we worship you as a corporate body in the church service that you'd be pleased and that you would hear our worship and that you would uh, go with us throughout this week and whatever we say, whatever we do, and everything that we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.